Hey everyone, before we get to today's content, I wanted to tell you about a brand new podcast from the 11FS Podcast Network, the FinTech Marketing Podcast hosted by me, Eric Fulweiler, Chief Marketing Officer of 11FS. Over the last couple months, I've been speaking to heads of marketing from the world's leading FinTech and financial service brands, Monzo, Revolut, MasterCard, Zero, Starling, Lemonade, and many more. We heard their insights and ideas on how they build brand and drive growth for their businesses, and now we can bring them to you. So if you're into FinTech, FS, marketing, which I assume you are, uh, please check out our brand new podcast. Search for FinTech Marketing Podcast on any podcast platform. Subscribe, share, leave us a review, and please do let us know your thoughts. Appreciate the support. This episode of InsureTech Insider is proudly brought to you by Deloitte. They are focused on uniting the bright ideas from InsureTech with large-scale traditional carriers and everything in between bringing their wealth of industry experience and technology know-how into the mix and helping to drive the pace of change and transform insurance as we know it. Hi everyone, my name is Sarah Kachansky and welcome to episode 62 of InsureTech Insider. As the COVID-19 situation is developing rapidly, we at 11FS are now working remotely, which also means we're recording our podcast remotely. We hope that this won't impact our listeners too much, and we hope that we can bring some valuable insights to our community during this situation. So, today we are going back to a topic we discussed about a year ago, the implementation of blockchain technology in insurance and insurtech. Of course, I am not alone, uh, but once again joined by my co-host, Mr. Nigel Walsh. How are you doing, Nigel? I am very well, thank you very much, all things considered. Missing being in person, I much prefer doing this side by side. I, th- I think we all prefer doing it in person, but Will, I've got a, a lovely view of you through the video screen, so just remember you're on video, okay? Oh, yes, very true. <laughs> um, as always, we're joined by some lovely guests. In order to get a proper insight into the world of blockchain, we have invited 11FS in-house blockchain expert, Simon Taylor. How are you doing today, Simon? I'm really well. Thanks for having me on uh, the friendly show that is InsureTech Insider. I feel like I'm uh, I'm joining in, I'm betting in, and I'm excited to be here. So thanks for thanks for having me. Excellent. Thank you for making time to join us. Um, and we also have another blockchain expert joining us today. We are joined by Aman Kohli, CTO at DXC Technology. How are you doing today, Aman? I'm great. Thank you. Uh, enjoying the uh, social isolation. What our listeners won't be aware of is that Aman is wearing a very fetching pair of wonderful bubblegum pink headphones. Um, We have certain requirements when we record from home. That means we have to have certain wired headphones in place. And Aman has borrowed his daughter's. Um, I can assure you that you look very fetching. Well, thank you. Um, And I hope she gives me permission retrospectively to use these. (laughs) Um, So Aman, you're a frequent guest on our sister podcast, Blockchain Insider, but this is your first time on InsureTech Insider. How does it feel? It feels very remote, uh, but on the other side of things, it feels great. I used to uh, work with some insurance customers in my previous job at Microsoft, so um, it's like a rusty old glove, I guess, to mix my metaphors. (laughs) Um, And the question we ask uh, all of our first-time guests, uh, do you actually have insurance? I have many insurances. That is what we like to hear. We don't have to tell you off to start with. Um, All right, let's get on with the show. So um, first up, please uh, help us out with some terminology. So we hear lots of different terms. We hear blockchain, blockchain technology, DLT. Uh, 
which one should be using does it matter i guess that's uh, that's always a hard one uh, and thank you sarah uh, for asking the hard question first i guess it's kind of one of those terms like any of those uh, terms like ai or big data or machine learning they kind of get thrown around and they lose all of their meaning very very quickly um i always think the term blockchain sound I mean, talking about blockchain technology talks a bit like uh talking about wheel technology it's like a wheel not wheel technology so it sounds a little bit weird for me a blockchain and dlt describes a class of technologies and a class of ideas so it's kind of like saying vehicle technology you know you've almost got this this class of many different ideas and if it sounds confusing it's not you it's all of the different people describing different things some people when they explain blockchain are actually explaining bitcoin some people when they explain blockchain are actually explaining some abstract concepts so the term i tend to like to use is whatever you like to use i'll use a blockchain i'll use crypto i'll use dlt ultimately once we get chatting it really comes down to who are you and what are you trying to achieve because there might be some good ideas in there for you um aman i don't know if you you build on that yeah i, I agree with that you know it is an umbrella term and what i kind of look at in this is that it's it's being used really just to talk about decentralized computing number 1 on one level of sharing of data, but you know that that data has come from uh, a trusted place. And this is where the difference between blockchain versus DLT adds the nuance, but you can basically trust the data that's on the chain uh, in the shared space. And um, it's distributed, meaning it's all over the place and it's not just in one place. And if I think if you just look at that to get an overall view of what blockchain is, and uh, just treat blockchain as a term like computer or IT, then it puts you in the right sort of ballpark. I was just going to say, I, I think that treat it like computer thing is really important because it almost sort of doesn't matter. Like, how much do you really care how your car, an internal combustion engine works? How much do you care how, uh, okay, Aman really cares about how much it works. There, so there are some nerds that really care how it works, but most businesses and most people care about what it can do for them. So I tend to try and avoid the the, the educational side of it and really focus on what it, what it can do for you. Uh, I was just going to say, listening to the two of you as a layman and somebody sits on the business side more from the technology side i you lost me we're we're five minutes in and i'm lost how do i apply what you've just said to the non-exec director community to the c-suite and go this is why it matters to your business am i going to fundamentally make it more efficient better better for the customer or better for the organization and the two of you have gone straight into the lift the hood pull out the things that go whirly-whirly and make the engine go, and I have, I'm lost. I think, Nigel, I disagree with you there because I think my next question is probably going to answer what you're asking for is it actually depends on the application, right? So um, we hear about, you know, the next question is, you know, we hear a lot about how blockchain insurance can be used in the insurance industry. Where is it supposed to help? So, you know, to Simon's point, if you can answer that question, you know, tangibly, where can blockchain technology be used? Does the non-executive director care that it's blockchain technology? Or to your point, do they care that it's it's cheaper, it's faster, whatever? Um, 
So I think the blockchain can kind of become secondary uh, in that set of circumstances. Like you don't actually need to explain it. And I think what fundamental problem it solves is I need to know that what I see is the same as what you see. Uh, quite often, I receive a piece of paper and I don't know if it's fraudulent or not or who signed it. Quite often, I receive a message from another business and I have to spend a lot of energy and effort checking that that thing was indeed true. Um, quite often, uh, I have to go and identify and establish a set of facts in order to potentially pay a claim or uh, you know, really deal with it with an individual problem. All of that creates cost, energy, time, uh, all of that is potential risk to your business. And all of that business can be, uh, all of that uh, risk can be removed and your business can become a lot more efficient if I know what I see is the same as what you see. Now, it doesn't necessarily say what I see is true. It says what I see is we agree to this set of facts. And that's the fundamental breakthrough here is uh, historically, I was able to send you a message that said, um, I think this. And you received that message and said, oh, you think that you think that. It's kind of like sending an email. I can send you an email uh, with an Excel spreadsheet attached. And that Excel spreadsheet uh, might be true at a point in time. But in two days, I've edited my Excel spreadsheet and the facts have changed. So I don't know that what I see is the same as what you see. Actually, by solving that problem, you solve massive problems in the global economy and inside your own business. Yeah, I, th I think if you take an example and, you know, it, we dive straight into the tech, I guess it was the insider term that uh, got us there. Um, it's it, also it, kind of the question. <laughs> what is it? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was yeah, my yeah. question, yes. <laughs> I'm just being difficult as always. Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. If you take a look at it, just a very simple example, let's just say you've had a ding in your car and you need to take a picture and send it to your insurance company who will then send it to someone to make an assessment to see if they have to come out and do a manual inspection. Right now, that is either being done out of band, meaning it's not being done on the IT systems within the organization. So I might send you an email and that hits your insurance company's system, but that person then send it to an email and it doesn't hit through the main line of business system. So you know that that mail has been sent. Here's the contents of it and it goes through. If you're using something like a distributed technology, um, like a blockchain or a DLT uh, system, what happens is, Everyone can see that data and you can control uh, to a degree who has access to it. And you can be sure that the picture you see is the picture I see is the picture that was taken. And the way that picture is taken, you can be assured it was taken by Almond through Almond's phone at this place through the magic of math. But that goes back to Sarah's point, right? And I think there's almost two pieces here. I genuinely love the use cases that we're going to come up with and we will talk to some have been implemented some of you know, obviously the most of them are all multi-party i think the way to explain it is use case if we raise up a go go back up to the board for a minute will it be like database technology we think about it, this is on a year ago none of the execs i talked to probably even the cio worry about the database technology they just worry it sits in the database at some point and at some point you'll go into it's Oracle or SQL or NoSQL or Mongo and it sits in the cloud somewhere, et cetera, et cetera. But it's never normally something that we lead with. No. In fact, rarely something that we lead with. So will, will blockchain or does blockchain need to get to that point where actually it might sit on it, but no one really cares. It's just done by default. Yeah, I, I think once we get the brand names coming around that, so you know there's a Mongo or you know it's an Oracle. The key thing there is you've said that it's in a database 
And that means certain things to tech people, and that means certain things to board level people. I think what we need to get to is, um, I guess, terminology that uh, people who are running businesses and who have oversight over businesses know what are the parameters they need to look at when the technology is being deployed. Because, you know, 20, 30 years ago, if you were on the board, it didn't really matter, especially in insurance, what the specifics of technology were. But right now, when we're sitting in a technology age, it matters much more intimately. Um, there's a great example from a few years ago where uh, the shipping company Maersk uh, developed um, an IoT plus blockchain solution. And this got a lot of people very excited because uh, buzzword bingo was hit. But aside from that, what this solution was, um, was when a, um, a ship that was shipping goods around the world entered into dangerous waters, for example, where there was a lot of actual piracy, of Aspie mateys and all that sort of stuff, um, the insurance rate would change. So uh, what they developed was a solution using uh, locations uh, as well as uh, sensors on the ship uh, to feed back to the insurer. This is InsureWave, right? Uh, yeah, 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 where you go through and you know where the ship was and then what insurance you were paying for the time you were there. Um, you know, in another world, you'd have to do that through some sort of weird, okay, show us the map, you track this on two months after you've docked at a port and then going through a whole bunch of claims and counterclaims. Whereas with this way, you have a verifiable record that this is where the ship was for this long. And that allows you to uh, digest and understand that quicker, but make a better decision on what the insurance rate would be or the risk would be. So I guess the the question is, you know, that's that's one um, solution you just mentioned there, and you said everybody got very excited about it. Is the insurance industry being any slower at starting to use solutions powered by blockchain than than banking? Or, or uh, I know I know asset management and wealth management has got quite a few um, solutions that are, are using blockchain already, particularly in the uh, you know in in the the um, credit swaps and things like that. Um, is insurance any slower, or is it just doing things at the same rate as the other parts of the financial services industry? It's different. Uh, I think uh, different insurers do things at different rates, and it depends on the industry you're in. So certainly where what I'm seeing and when I've been speaking to various customers, um, it really depends what the business use case is. And if there is a lot of intermingling of parties and people, it'll be there. Uh, it'll be front and center. If it's something that doesn't involve that or it's a company that's more resistant to change, it'll be a little bit slower and they'll be kind of saying, okay, start explaining this from the beginning. I'm, I, I'm struggling with that one because I fund, I, I'm not a, I, I don't understand blockchain to the same extent that you, both of you guys do, as an example. The way you just described it around multiple parties, uh, groups, all that sort of stuff means insurance is the ideal use case for blockchain without a shadow of a doubt. Lloyd's of London is the first distributed ledger in theory as a physical building with multiple parties coming in, physically sign or underwrite the previous person's contract and then distribute it to other places. I cannot understand, even with B3I, um, why we haven't been faster to pick up. And I, I can only go back to, and this is where I think we should, the, the, the debate will go, there's plenty of use cases but like autonomous cars or shared vehicles in London, where Mercedes and BMW pulled out recently, the three words they cited were not enough demand. 
and I'm worried that, not worried, I'm cognizant that um, whilst this is an ideal use case or scenario or place for it, we have so much fundamental other stuff to go fix first and foremost before we get to cool things like blockchain. I think this is the old saying that um, being early is worse than being wrong. And uh, there's a real chance that a lot of this blockchain stuff was five years too early, um, especially for the insurance sector. The banking market's a little bit different because the banking market had centralized digital platforms that started to replace, uh, you know, kind of brokerages, exchanges, uh, standardization of things like the um, the ISDA agreement for FX swaps and so on. Um, there is there's a whole bunch of market structure that has been built in between the gaps between banks that were centralized, and it. Created created a, a different problem than you have in insurance. Banking was uh, sort of part decentralized, part centralized around these intermediaries like Visa, MasterCard, stock exchanges, but they were digitized rather than being truly digital. So they took the paper processed and made them a bit digital. Now, interestingly, the risk the insurance market has is doing exactly the same, making the same mistake, which is to take the paper process and to fundamentally recreate that paper process in a digitized form and make a machine do what a human was better at and actually lose some magic in the process and create some new problems. Whereas if you play machines to what they're good at, machine strengths really is all around automation, is all around sort of making repeatable processes. But what you processes you'd make a machine do uh, are fundamentally different to the ones you don't have them try and be humans, have them be machines, and think about the advantages of, of the humanity in the process. And that's where DLT is only one tool in the toolbox in this. You have to sort of step back and think about what market structure do we need as an organization and what fundamental problems does that solve for us and our trading partners and the market as as we look at this. And you know, banks have been quite good at that historically, which is why I think they've uh, they've gotten a little bit further with DLT. But also they've struggled because they already have these centralized systems. So why do they need something that's decentralized? The benefit is much more marginal. So I think just to, um, to to pick up on the three points there, I think actually what we're saying, Nigel, is that, and I think what you're saying, and Aman is to a certain extent as well, is that the insurance industry is just further behind. So it's slower adopting any kind of new solution, any kind of technology than perhaps banks were. And to Simon's point, banks were in a better place to start adopting that new technology because of the pro- because of what had already happened in that industry. So if the right um, blockchain-powered uh, uh, solution comes along to help insurers with the big problems they're grappling with right now, then we might start to see some adoption of it. But again, I don't think they're not adopting it because it's blockchain. I think they're not adopting it because they haven't got their heads around the idea of needing new technology in the first so place. Partially, Sarah, I, I, I'm intrigued by Simon's comment about the five years. Is it five years or is it 10 years? I completely agree on the evolution versus revolution. And every time we suggest to insurance companies about revolution and jumping further ahead, we go back to well, here's my digital, here's my paper form. Let's make it digital. That's good enough for now. And it's far enough ahead to get the benefit they need without jumping too far ahead. So I, I don't think they're bad at adopting new technologies, actually. You look at our, and you look at our previous conversations around IoT and sensors. We're actually leading in many of these cases, autonomous vehicles. You, your article itself, I quote it all the time. We've got self-driving cars and drones. We are country miles ahead in some cases but for some reason, haven't managed to sort out this 
fundamental underlying building block. I think where industries tend to be good is where the new technology helps them do more of their core business. And the IoT and the the autonomous vehicles helps you sell more insurance. Um, Blockchain doesn't necessarily help you sell more insurance. It helps you be more efficient with the insurance you already sold. And I think with banking, what you've probably seen is people who can see themselves becoming more capital efficient as a result of being able to have capital uh, collateral at multiple venues. If uh, So um, HQLAX is a project um, in partnership with R3 and a number of major banks around the world looking at exactly that. So when I'm a bank and I go to a trading venue like a stock exchange, I have to park some collateral there in order to be able to trade because I trade at leverage. I, I don't sort of, if I'm going to buy a thousand shares in, in Apple, I don't necessarily put all of the money there. I put just enough so that if I go bankrupt, you know, the, the, the system can manage itself. Well, actually, I have to do that at five trading venues or 15 trading venues. Wouldn't it be good if that collateral could move around in real time? Well, for a bank, that's their core business. So something that fixes that is hugely beneficial. The benefit and the business case of being slightly more efficient at what you already do is not the same as new sales. And actually, the revenue case is always going to be stronger than the cost case. So I I just want to say one thing as well. It's kind of the support of that, right? So one thing, technology isn't passive. So if you're in an organization that does just enough technology, but no more, you're only going to get some benefit of it. If you're at an organization which embraces, but also influences how that technology is developed and deployed, you're going to get much, much more out of it. So take an extreme example of the big tech companies. They're controlling and shaping the tech world because they embrace and deploy and change these technologies. And where blockchain and DLT has been a success within banking and other sectors is where the creators of the technology and the creators of the business cases have come together and created these kind of examples that Simon's pointed to, uh, but also other examples, because we're creating new types of digital only things. And, you know, the example that you used around IoT is a great example of a digital thing that's happening in the world um, but there are others, and I, th- I think one of the things is outside of a couple of key projects like uh, the B3I uh, and a couple of others, we don't have um, huge activity contributing to the technology. I also think, just contrasting with banking slightly, Bitcoin came along and was going to threaten banks. You know, It was to replace the banks. It wasn't to replace the insurance companies. So it's natural that a banker would go, oh, crap, what's this? What, what do we do about it? Um, but a board level um, kind of insurance person might go, cool, I can insure that. So the, the existential threat or even the curiosity was, was, was kind of different at that level. And, and I think the business case question remains unanswered in, in the insurance space for blockchain and DLT. Well, if I, and actually, as you were talking, I was writing down, I actually wrote down Facebook, Libra, and um, um, I should say Cobra, it's not Cobra, is it? That's a beer. Uh, yeah, you might be thinking, of, there's also the um, Chinese, there's the Chinese central bank digital currency, DECP, um, which, yeah, which if I'm a if I'm a bank and I'm thinking about my deposits is, is quite a different conversation. I, I guess where I was going, though, was when I speak to, or when I work with insurance companies, or I speak to the execs, I'm in generally in two modes. Am I going to add a single dollar or pound or euro of gross written premium to my top line? And is it going to make me do it at a more efficient rate? And and insurance companies collectively, by their own agreement, have a level of technical debt that I think far surpasses 
some of the banks because they haven't needed to change. It's been okay. And I don't want to make this conversation about the current global pandemic, but actually moving to the digital world right now, where Lloyd's had its first ever shutdown, Lloyd's of London had its first ever shutdown, I believe in its history, where people couldn't go and sit outside a box and wait for the physical piece of paper to be stamped or um, the, the slip underwritten or whatever else, is a historic moment. And it will get every single person thinking about how do we interact in the new world. But Nigel, to your point, the point that I was trying to make about you know, insurance issue not being ready for technology, that's exactly the point. So they, they're playing around the edge in the periphery, but they're not looking for where it actually matters. And that's at the core. And you could argue that banks have only just got there as well. But I am just going to like move this on a little bit because we're talking a lot theoretically here. Um, does anybody have, other than the Maersk example, any uh, tangible examples of where we've got some success stories of where we have seen blockchain and insurance? Because we can stand here theoretically saying, oh, well, they're not ready or they are ready or the differences in bank and insurance. But there might actually be some examples out there where people have adopted it and is being used already, which would go back to a man's point about it depends on the different um, speed and uh, readiness, I guess, of, of the insurer itself. Yeah. W- wasn't there some work that the B3I consortium have done around reinsurance and uh uh, some of the loss stuff, excessive loss and things like that. And they're, they're kind of tackling it in a structured way, much like uh, R3 have been doing it within trade finance and banking. I mean, there the, the very much is around excess of loss. I mean, the most, the most well-quoted one is AXA and Fizian. I think we had uh, Powell on the show a while back and a few of the AXA folks talking about this. Um, but that's equally since being shut down. Um, the example I give on this one is, I love it. I think it's an amazing story about how smart contracts would use a simple if this, then that approach to if your flight is delayed, automatically take a payout. That's better for the customer, potentially better for the insurer. I'll come back to potentially. Um, and straight through, it doesn't need to have manual intervention. The reason I say it's potentially better for the customer, sorry, for the insurer is whilst it's a straightforward, straight through process, Many of us will have one, two, three travel policies. A lot of times out of 10, I'm not going to say the number, people don't actually cover, don't actually claim for them. So now we're creating something automated for an event that most people would go, oh, I can't be making the claims. Too, it's too hard. I can't do it. Well, if it's straight through, we're not yet at the stage where we need to do it. So why do it? And equally, people like Berkshire Hathaway have got a product in the market called Travel Protect, which is built on Salesforce not on the blockchain. So standard off-the-shelf technology. And that was going to be my point, is there are so many examples where you can ask the question, do you need a blockchain? And the answer is no. Um, the, the acid test is, do I need to know that what I see is the same as what you see? And in that example, it's how much do I trust that the information I've received is is correct uh, in your perspective. So if I'm getting a price feed or if I'm getting a uh, airline feed, you know, did this, did this, flight really land and that's come directly from an airport and i'm pretty convinced that the the source of that information is the airport i don't need a blockchain for that i can do that with salesforce i can do it with apis i I can put all of that stuff together it's where you get five six seven eight parties to a transaction together and many of them have never connected with each other before and that's when suddenly knowing that what i see is the same as what you see becomes valuable but those 
cases are a little bit rarer and they're a little bit harder to come by. So um, this is why, um, so there's a there's an organization called TradeIX and they have a project called um, Marco Polo um, and they're doing something around um, trade finance and credit insurance for trade finance. In this example, you have shipping companies, port authorities, uh, you have uh, the factory, the distributor, the buyer, banks involved, like all of these different people all signing different pieces of paper, all being FedExed and UPSed around the world. Incredible amounts of fraud, incredible amounts of risk incredible amounts of cost. And so this is an example where for an insurer, you're on the opposite end of the spectrum. You're probably paying out a lot uh, without having any real confidence because, and you don't know if you're being defrauded or not, but these these buyers and sellers are corporates. So of course they're gonna make that claim. They're gonna have a law, uh, a, a, a law team and, a, and a, law, a legal function that is gonna chase that down and try and make sure that they get their claim. So this on the other, that's the other side of the spectrum. So I think in that corporate space, you might say a little bit more, but it's a very niche use case. And, and actually, um, maybe there's also something else, which is in the world of crypto and the world of um, kind of uh, financial markets over there, you do see that it's just by default that there's this whole other world evolving and it's tiny, right? You've got this tiny, tiny, thinly traded world of Bitcoin and Ethereum. And they have uh, sort of automated trading bots and automated insurance and automated leverage, uh, this whole decentralized finance space. It's a really interesting Petri dish full of ideas. But the overwhelming majority of cases you can do with good old fashioned technology from first principles. And there's so much value to be gained in doing that. So just to bring to go back to my original question, the B3I example, just to give a bit of color here, which kind of does fit to some of the examples that Simon's just given. B3I, those who don't know, is an enterprise blockchain company owned by insurers. Um, So as of February this year, it processed 30 reinsurance contracts for January renewals. Um, So it wasn't a switch over to a new platform. It was just kind of a a, a running in parallel process, if you like, which is exactly what we like to see when big organizations are looking at implementing new systems, whether they're blockchain based or otherwise. Basically, what it's what it's doing is uh, working with uh, catastrophe reinsurers, um, which is one of those examples where you have many, many, even you know, tens, twenties, thirties of different types of people involved in the process. Um, so the the product in in question was launched um, first in in July last year, and by February this year is is already being used by a number of insurers. Um, basically, the idea is to do exactly you know what we've discussed here: faster, cheaper, better. So um, it's the property, uh, the uh, sorry, product in question is called Property Catastrophe Excess of Loss Reinsurance, CAT XL, um, and is live on the Corda network. So that is an example of something that's already running and in fact hasn't closed down, is, is still making progress as of the 12th of February, 2020. Yeah. And, you know, there's other companies as well. I was researching this uh, for the podcast as well. And I remember a company uh, called Etherisk that came out. And they're developing uh, a technology stack for uh, blockchain solutions within insurance. So they're they're using a decentralized insurance uh, protocol. And they've done the flight example you used earlier, Nigel. But um, just last year, they were working on crop insurance um, uh, use case uh, with Aon and Oxfam uh, just to help out. So I I think something like um, blockchain needs another co-enabling technology, whether it's IoT or something else. Um, 
It's the power of the two of those together that can help solve the business need. Because ultimately, don't just apply technology for technology's sake. You've got to find what's the business need that's happening. Uh, but when you are applying something to a business need, don't adopt a just enough technology approach. You know, embrace it wholly and, you know, break some shells and eggs and bones. The crop example was brilliant. I mean, mm -hmm. puller, developing countries. I go back to Sam's point, does it need blockchain? And I, it feels like we've been through cycles over the last five or so years. Five years ago, everything was digital. The answer was digital. Then it went to blockchain. And blocks, at least yeah. in insurance, seems to have died off to some extent. And the new buzzword of the day is AI. And everything's AI without people really understanding what it is. It feels like we've got to a definition of what digital is. You break it into digitization versus digitalization. And we can all have a good argument about that. Blockchain, it feels like we didn't get to a solid answer to. Therefore, it's kind of been swept under the carpet and we've moved on. And AI is now in full swing with regards to chatbots or robotics or true machine learning or visual AI and loads of others where people are getting into things that they can physically see the benefit of. I genuinely believe the InsureWave example by EY, Maersk, uh, Axirex, and all the other parties that were involved for solving um, shipping and ports and moving goods around the world was an amazing use case. It genuinely said multiple parties, complicated process, um, ability to make sure to Simon's very first point, we're all seeing the same thing and we know what's on the ship in the container at any one point and where it, where it is, was probably one of the best use cases. And if that's the best we've got, why is it not gone stratospheric and taken off further than that? Uh, a couple of things. One, um, efficiency in uh, back office processes for the shipping and trade finance industry doesn't scream like, oh my God, I have to pay attention to this. Let's grab a headline. Um, and also, this stuff's hard. Like if you were going to say, you know, like look how long it's taking to build uh, just infrastructure generally. I mean, God knows I'll, I can bring up some rail projects in the United Kingdom that take a long time to build, never mind IT projects with lots of companies. If you were to look at the time horizon to put in place um, a lot of the big market structures in banking, generally these things take half a decade, sometimes a full decade. Uh, and people tend to overstate the pace of change and understate the impact. I think we're in the trough of disillusionment with all things blockchain and DLT right now and everybody's written it off and and good you know that's uh person works hard doesn't make a great headline but there's a lot of people working really hard on this stuff that are that are reasonably well funded right now and i i think people will be surprised and what will pop up will be oh wow i'm 30 percent more efficient in my middle and back office because of this 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 new product i bought from vendor and they they won't even attach it with blockchain like um, most people don't think wow um you know when i when i took that uber ride i used uh, gps to be able to identify my location and plot that on a google map relative to the car's location they think god that was convenient and they don't think, oh, we used the Braintree API so that the payment was taken from me automatically and I didn't have to handle cash. They just go, oh, yeah, just get out of the car. So I think we will flip from talking about the technology to just benefiting from it. And more than AI, more than cloud, I think this is a deep, deep tech 
um, kind of conversation. So when it's confusing for the board, that's because it's not really for the board. Yeah. Like you, you almost shouldn't be selling blockchain to the board. You should be selling it to the IT teams um, and helping them understand the different platforms and relative pros and cons. Um, Aman will remember the early days of Linux. You know, when Linux first came along, this was a thing with 10 different distributions, all of which were slightly different from each other. And now it's kind of normal that everybody's got Red Hat in a data center somewhere. But like 10 years ago, why isn't that Windows Server? Uh, you know, this this would have been a crazy conversation, but it wouldn't have been a conversation at the board level. So there, there are different levels for these conversations, and that's okay. Do you think that this, what you've just, all of what you just said there is applicable to the financial services industry as a whole or just insurance? Uh, I'd say to financial services as a whole, right? Um, most of the, like, if I if I were to walk into a, a bank or to an asset manager and say, um, we can make you more capital efficient, they'd go, how? If I was to say, I've got some blockchain to sell you, they'd go, go away. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think it is applicable. Yeah, and it, it, it also is tied to regulation, right? So the things that slow things down are when there's uh, encumbering leg- uh, regulation there. And also when there's more than one or two parties involved, because you're immediately getting in, into a negotiation. And the third thing is, if you have to deploy to a lot of users, because that's that's a mathematical deployment problem. I, as I say, I'm thinking back to Simon's point. I, I I could not agree more. I I genuinely think, in the same way that the exec don't care if it's operational, relational, no sequel. Things will just be on blockchain and it will be, didn't know about it, didn't really care about it. It's kind of silently crept in with the hypes kicked over. We're now into the the hard work of actually making it operational inside those places. To your point about uh, the operational efficiency um, for the back office functions, the, the, the fundamental point about cost today is it's still cheaper in Eastern Europe or India or China or elsewhere to run those as people today until it's not. And I think we're kind of in a people still cheaper versus cost of getting, cost of blockchain number one and cost of putting it in and taking out all the old stuff. That doesn't mean to say any of the new things that we put together won't be blockchain by default. And I think also it's not what you do, it's the way you do it, right? When people try and put technology in, they tend to try and replace uh, the whole, the whole stack and they want all of their volume working on it day one and they want a five-year plan and FYP for like how do I take my old architecture and get to the new one so that I can get a massive business case and nobody wants to start small but then and and you do see pilots and POCs but they lose momentum the real art of this stuff is starting small and building momentum and de-risking your investment and showing efficiency and showing wins along the way. Because if you as an internal team can just do something that shows some internal wins and get some more investment and more investment, it's really, you know, this is a shout out to the to the mid-level CIOs, really. They're, they're in a position to be able to make some difference with technology for their business. But there's an opportunity to sell uh, what technology can really do um, as opposed to just outsourcing. Um, and how do you play the, uh, the human to their advantages to, problem solving, to enable them to be creative, to enable them to empathize with clients and customers. Do more of that rather than trying to get the AI to be creative. And then think about how the machines can be uh, delivering business value on on the inside. And blockchain's one tool in that toolkit, to a man's point, it, it almost always fails when it's used in isolation. 
when you consider it as a tool, given your problem space, it can be a useful tool. Yeah. And I think to your point, you don't want to replace an existing manual process that's mimicked by a computer, be it blockchain or be it AI or be it this god-awful thing called RPA. Um, you're, you're, you're just changing one smell to another. So it doesn't matter if it smells like chicken smell or a uh, quail smell. It's still a smell, right? And you want to replace a process. And you're only going to do that if that process is something that's going to have an impact to your customers or your business, right? And so this isn't about saying, okay, I'm just going to fix this one back office thing. It's no, okay, what's this flow here? And does it matter to replace the whole thing? So just to ask, just to sort of like, because this is <laughs> this conversation is interesting, but this could be applied to any kind of financial services. Yeah. What we're saying here. So my, I what I want to know, and I think what a lot of the people that Nigel's talking about want to know is, do we have to have spe- specific solutions designed for insurance by blockchain, or are a lot of these blockchain-based solutions could be implemented by any kind of financial services company because they're all trying to do the same thing, which is you know take those layers out and reduce those cost efficiency? Because as to Aman's point, the blockchain technology is powering something deep and underlying, and it has to be done in sync with secondary, third, you know, whatever tertiary technologies. Um, does, are those the ones that need to be insurance specific and actually what's running at its core, uh, it, you know, it, it, it could be a solution that could be sold to a bank, an asset manager or insurer or otherwise. Simon. So the point I'd make is um, if you want to get from your house to the shop, uh, you don't buy a different car for that from getting to from your house to a school. Like the vehicle is the same. It does the same job. Uh, it's how it's it's how you use it that changes. And actually, that means there's a responsibility on both the vendor and the uh, the kind of the the buyer to really understand what they're trying to achieve. And this is something that um, insurers, I think, uh, have, have maybe struggled with a little bit is understanding why they're buying what they're buying. What what are they? What's their business case? What are they actually trying to achieve? And this is again the role of the CIO is to say there are lots of cars out there. The one I'm going to buy is going to solve this problem for us because. And it will it will solve it by by this date. Um, so to your point, Sarah, to answer it directly, I don't think that any of the solution, all most of the solutions out there, work for financial services. But the really good vendors are very good at explaining how you use it to solve your problem specifically for insurance or to get to the shop. Yeah, and I think also with the way the insurance industry set up, people in the insurance industry need to meet the technology halfway and try to understand it. Whether it's the CIO whether it's people who own products, I'm a big fan of product people showing up, they hold the knowledge of what needs to be done. And um, in the same way, you kind of need to shake up a little bit of how you're thinking about the problem space, but meet the technology halfway. You don't need to get into the maths or the distributed computing part of it, but you do need to understand some of the technology, what the gives are, what it gives you, and what you need to put into it to get that out of it. And meet the technology to develop the solution you need and then iterate and learn around it because technology is not passive, right? It's not just going to grow in your back data center. So what we need to do, because we're getting um, running up against time here, is um, I want to have a conversation about, you know, practical applications of where you think uh, blockchain technology can be used in insurance in the future. So to give you an example, um, you know, that's very topical right now, we've seen some insurance companies in Hong Kong and mainland China. And I know that those are areas that have really embraced um, blockchain technology. If you look at Ping An, they have, you know, whole systems that run on blockchain technology. Um, they've looked at this uh, to to speed up um, insurance claims, um, particularly in this case related to COVID-19. 
And they, they're basically working on the principle that using blockchain, the blockchain-based system that they have um, enables them to settle claims faster than, you know, how they would have done it historically. Um, that's what that's one example. You know, where, where else do we think this might be applied um, going forward, hopefully with less reference or fewer references to global pandemics? Well, I, I think anything around healthcare, clearly around the insurance claims there. And I think if you kind of tease apart why the solution's working, it's because it's getting rid of the intermediary brokers. And I don't mean that in insurance sense, but it just gets rid of the intermediary, put a claim in, assess it, file it, data validate it, push it around the system. It's bringing it up so it can be actioned on. Um, and there are other places, right? So whether it's the claims flow, whether uh, it's, um, you know, around the crop kind of world, crop insurance world versus uh, shipping logistics. They're kind of natural places. Um, but but there are other areas as well. You know, when you're assessing your risk as well, it can be used there for risk assessors to get together and put together their view of what they think the risk is. I, I think it'll actually be closely linked to whether people are already using it. So the reason I brought up Trade IX and Trade Credit is because uh, the banks will do something. And when they do, insurance is going to be a part of that workflow. So insurance gets dragged along with it, uh, kicking and screaming. Uh, and I think there'll, there'll be a bit of that. Uh, and I also think that uh, there will be areas like that that start to emerge across other industries um, that uh, that have started to show a lot of interest. I think healthcare was one of them uh, that have shown a lot of interest in blockchain and DLT that, that start to see uh, kind of just this where I need to know what I see is what you see. Um, this is a really interesting example of uh, the amount of fraud that happens every year because a, uh, a death certificate was was uh, forged. Um, so, like the insurance claims on life insurance that come as a result of that. So there'll be that space seems to be uh, really really ripe for for just uh, solving that problem. Practical examples to your question, Sarah. I can't think of a single use case that would not be possible to execute smarter, more efficiently, or better leveraging something that's leveraging blockchain so it could be done anywhere but i go back to my my age old saying just because you just because you can doesn't mean to say you should and the reason i say that is lots of these things to simon's point about we can demonstrate this with other technology and see the results of ai or digital in isolation without involving other parties means we can get on with it as a mid-level CIO, as a group CIO, and just get the job done in my already difficult span of control and stakeholder group I've got to work within without having to venture out and talk to my supply chain or whatever else um, for health or motor or commercial or whatever it might be. So it's applicable everywhere. It won't be in the short term. If, if we finish on an insurance term, Insurance will get there. I have no doubt about it. I think Simon's right about the timelines. It's probably five to ten more years to go, but we're going to be a follower, not a leader. Okay. Well, thank you very much, all of you, for joining me. Um, I know we could keep. I know you could all keep going for hours and hours on this, but um, I'm going to let you get off and enjoy your evenings. Um, that wraps up our discussion today. Thank you so much to um, my two guests and to Nigel, of course. Um, where can our listeners find out more about you, Simon? 
You can find me at SYTaylor on Twitter or email me directly, simon at 11fs.com. And of course, on Blockchain Insiders, our sister podcast. Which is available on iTunes now. Excellent. Aman, how about you? Uh, I'm not available on iTunes yet, but uh, at A. Coley <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, just a health warning. That's like uh, sitting next to me in the office. So um, it doesn't reflect the views of my employer or anyone. Um, on LinkedIn, uh, Coley A, K-O-H-L-I-A. Uh, that's the professional me. And then, of course, my employer, DXC.technology. Perfect. And Nigel. You can find me having loads of fun on LinkedIn and Twitter. So at Nigel Walsh at Twitter on LinkedIn, just LinkedIn.NigelWalsh. Perfect. And you can find me at Sarah Kachansky on Twitter. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at Instech Insiders or our 11FS LinkedIn page. That is 11 colon FS. And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, which you can find on Spotify and your other podcast providers. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter for more news and content, 11FS.com forward slash newsletter. And InsureTech Insider will be back in two weeks. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>